What a great song, huh? How many of you this week got a card in the mail inviting you to the fall festival? I heard of a few of you. Just Paul and Barbara, that's it? Wow. Well, uh, feel free to make use of those small invitation cards in the foyer there to invite family, friends, neighbors. We've been talking about the church, the dwelling place, and the family of the living God whose responsibility it is, the church's responsibility to, up, to uphold and to display the truth of the gospel in every generation, forever and ever. It's a pretty heavy responsibility, isn't it? It's important what we do here. We've seen how essential it is for the church to gather physically because that is one of the primary ways that the invisible kingdom of God is made visible to the world around us. In this way, each local church is like an embassy, we've said. A physical, visible presence that represents the values and the interests of our King, Jesus Christ. And then we looked at Jesus' teaching about the church and the Gospel of Matthew, and we learned that it is God's desire for Christians to be members of local churches. Membership is how we are affirmed and recognized as citizens of Christ's kingdom. And it's how the church knows who should be treated as a citizen or not. If you're a citizen of heaven by faith alone in Jesus Christ, then you should be a member of a church. We see this in Acts 2. The people believed, they were baptized, they were added to the church, and they devoted themselves to the church. And last week we began looking at some of the responsibilities and some of the privileges of being a citizen in the kingdom of God. We saw that citizens must be welcoming. We must be welcoming of those who are different from ourselves because Jesus first welcomed us. Because Jesus first welcomed us. And when we do this, God gets the glory because it causes the world around us to marvel. Asking, what could possibly bring all these different people together? What business do all these people have being in the same place at the same time each week in and out? People of different skin colors and ethnicities, different cultures, different political parties, different generations, different social classes. This is, Jesus is the only one who can bring all these different people together. And this makes him look so good. Today we're going to look at another responsibility and privilege of citizenship in Christ's kingdom. We're talking about caring for one another. Caring for one another. The New Testament has a lot to say about how citizens are to care for one another. Here's just a brief, unexhaustive survey. I'm just going to rifle through these. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
Galatians 5.13, through love, serve one another. Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 1 Peter 5.5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. 1 John 4.7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We could devote an entire sermon series or more to all of the ways we as citizens are to care for one another. So know that today's focus will certainly not be exhaustive. Instead, I hope to capture with broad strokes the heart behind how we are to care for one another. We're going to set up camp in Galatians 6, 1 to 5 this morning. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me. And follow along as I read. Please stand if you're able out of reverence for God's word. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We pray that your word, through the power of your spirit, would open our hearts and our minds to understand, to see the beauty of Christ in the pages of scripture. Father, change us. May our hearts be fertile soil, ready and willing and eager to receive your word. And may it take root in our hearts and bear fruit for your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we dive in, I want to point out that this passage in Galatians comes immediately after Paul's teaching on the fruit of the Spirit. That those who walk by the Spirit will display love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
So when we come to chapter 6, Paul begins to give examples of what this actually looks like when lived out among the citizens of Christ's kingdom, the members of his church. So bearing is our first point. Look at verse 2. Caring for fellow citizens or family members in God's household involves bearing one another's burdens. A burden is a heavy load. It could be a sickness like cancer or COVID. It could be the loss of a loved one or the loss of employment. It could be a painful divorce. It could be feelings of loneliness or rejection. John Piper has a helpful way of defining a burden here. A burden, he says, is anything that threatens to crush the joy of our faith. A burden. So that we can apply that pretty broadly. Paul's going to get specific here in verse 1, which we'll see in our next point. But for now, it could be, it could be any tragedy that threatens to make us doubt God's goodness. Or it could be a sin that pulls us away from Jesus. Both of those things threaten to crush our joy. Bearing a burden doesn't mean that we can simply take it away from someone. As much as we would really want to be able to do that, we can't take it away from someone and carry it ourselves instead. A better way to understand this uh, is by thinking about that scene from the Lord of the Rings trilogy at the very end. So if you've seen it, hopefully I'm not going to spoil this for anybody. But uh, Frodo, he's climbing Mount Mordor to destroy the evil ring by throwing it into the volcanic heart of Mount Mordor. This terrible burden that Frodo has carried for so long. He's, he's utterly just beaten down. He's on the ground, exhausted from carrying this burden for so long. His faithful friend Sam is by his side, though. And Sam knows that he cannot carry the ring for Frodo. So he says, Come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And with that, he heaves Frodo onto his back and he carries Frodo up the mountain for the last leg of the journey. And this is such a wonderful picture of what it means for us to carry one another's burdens, not by removing the burdens themselves, but by making them lighter in our care for one another. Paul puts it this way in 1 Thessalonians five fourteen, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. This could mean bringing a meal to someone or shoveling a driveway or raking... I'm sorry, I mentioned snow already. That might have been too, uh, too much. It could mean something as simple as our presence. To sit with someone and let them know they're not alone. 
I've seen all this and more in this church and that makes this pastor's heart really joyful. A little over a year ago, when the pain was still very raw, members of this church sat with a dear sister who lost a brother. During Dewey McAwee's last days, I saw the inside of their home during one of my final visits. And this church literally filled their home with cards. And it was one of the highlights and joys of their day to check the mail. I think Donna told me every day, on average, they had at least a card every day, sometimes more, coming to them in the mail. Or recently, how so many of us came alongside a family whose child had run away from home. I know that the care and the support from this body meant so much to that family. You can't imagine. And many of you know, uh, we prayed for her this morning. Elisa Hubbard broke her leg over the summer. David's here with us today. Uh, in a recent post on Facebook, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but you put it on Facebook, so I suppose I can share it. But uh, he, he writes this, Returned from work today to find a big load of food donated by Fishkill Baptist Church. What a blessing. We're empty nesters, and now that Elisa can't cook, I have to be the homemaker while holding down a full-time job, and I don't have any experience with the former. Thank you so much. Elisa and I truly... Feel Christ's love through this act of generosity. We'll hope we'll be able to help someone else very soon. And Paul says that when we do this, when we care like this for one another, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is this, to love one another as Christ has loved you, has loved us. And now for Paul's example, we... Move back up to verse 1. Restoring. This is our next point. Another way we care for another is by restoring those caught in sin. If we really love a brother or sister in Christ, we will not just provide comfort in times of trouble, but we'll also care enough to confront a brother or sister caught in sin. While trouble can threaten our joy in its own way, being caught in sin is in some ways more harmful to a person's soul than in in their joy than other burdens. It's harmful to our sin and to our joy, or to our souls and to our joy. Now we all sin every day, and it's it's right and good for us to confront one another's sin. But this is not talking about becoming the sin police. It's not going around with our antennas up just looking to catch someone. Specifically, Paul says that if anyone is caught in any transgression, some translations render this word caught as overcome or overtaken. Have you been overcome or overtaken by a particular sin? And so we should understand this as a, as a loving intervention for someone who is just really stuck stuck in a pattern of sinning. Paul says that those who are spiritual should restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. 
being a spiritual person doesn't mean that you are some upper echelon Christian, some super Christian. Paul is simply referring back to what he had said in chapter 5 about the normal Christian life, walking in the Spirit, displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Remember that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. So for Paul, the goal is restoration. And sadly, so sadly, many people have had negative experiences in churches where those who were caught in sin were just kicked while they were down. Paul teaches that our goal should be to help those who have fallen in sin to get back up on their feet again, not to kick them while they're down. Tim Keller has pointed out that the word Paul uses for restore is the same word used for setting a dislocated bone back into place. Here Keller expound on this idea. A dislocated bone is extremely painful because it is not in its designed natural relationship to the other parts of the body. To put a bone back into place will inevitably inflict pain, but it's a healing pain. It means we are to confront even when that will be painful, but our confronting must be aiming to prompt and change of life and heart. And this is the nature of restoring those caught in sin. It's a healing Pain. Hear these words, Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Psalm 141, 5. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Or James says this in James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now some may object by pointing out that Jesus says we shouldn't judge in Matthew 7. However, Jesus isn't actually saying that we shouldn't judge at all, but he's warning us against judging hypocritically. He says this, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's not saying, don't take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's saying, first... Take the log out of your own eye and then proceed in taking the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is simply saying that we need to pay attention to our own hearts first before attempting to help a brother or sister caught in sin. It's for this reason that I believe Paul immediately instructs those engaged in the work of restoring that they watch themselves so that they are not tempted. So the primary temptation to be avoided here, I think, is hypocrisy. And this leads to our final point this morning, testing. 
Paul now will address what it is that can keep us from bearing each other's burdens. First in verse 3, Paul says that if we think we are something when we are nothing, we deceive ourselves. Many avoid carrying or burden-bearing because they think that this is in some way beneath them. They're just too important to bother with such things like serving. To this, Paul says, we are self-deceived because we're actually nothing. We're actually nothing. Paul is not devaluing humans as image bearers of God here. Paul instead has in mind our moral condition, meaning that apart from the grace of God in our lives through Jesus, we are nothing because of our sinfulness. Paul says in Romans seven eighteen, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Or Jesus put it this way in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. For we can only honestly say that apart from Christ, we are nothing and we plead for God's mercy. Another way we are discouraged from bearing burdens is the opposite of thinking too highly of ourselves. It's to look at others and to compare ourselves with them and to conclude that we're not any good. We're not as good as that other person and we're not as gifted as that other person. I can't do those kind of things, so I'm going to sit on the sideline. I'm not even going to try. I'm going to let the experts handle this one and, uh, and I'm going to stay right here. So the solution to this, Paul says in verse 4, is to let each one test or evaluate his own work. And we're to do this not by looking to others as our standard, but looking to God as our standard and his approval. And if God approves of our work, we should be content it's interesting, though, that Paul says this, is, uh, th- this reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Because Paul will say just a few verses later in verse 14, far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how is it that he's saying we can boast in ourselves? And then a short time later to say I can only boast except in Christ. I think what Paul has in mind here is that, that we boast in our work not because in comparison to others we think we've done better, but we boast as we've looked to Christ and he has produced this work in us and through us. And Paul says it like this to the Philippians, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it is good for us to test our work using God's standard. And when we do, we will look at the weaknesses and sufferings of others, not with comparison, but with compassion. Paul then adds in verse 5 that 
Each will have to bear his own load. What does this mean? The Greek word for load here is a term used for the, the pack that a soldier would carry. The pack represents his work. It's what he's been given to do. We too have been given a work to do that is our own. And we must seek to be faithful to do it. Don't begrudge the work that God has given you to do. And don't envy the work that God has given to others. We will each have our own opportunities to serve him by bearing each other's burdens. It'll be different for each one of us. This is the responsibility. This is the privilege of citizens in Christ's kingdom and members of a local church to commit to caring for other citizens by making their burdens lighter. Whether they're caught in sin or they're going through uh, a tragedy in their life, we commit to caring for fellow citizens to make their burdens lighter and they commit to us to make our burdens lighter. It's a responsibility and it's a privilege being a part of the family, the household of God. We commit to bear others' burdens and others commit to bear our burdens. And it's a beautiful thing. And we do this for each other, not to score points with God or to earn his favor because Jesus first cared for us. When he removed our greatest burden, the burden of our sin, as far as the east is from the west, He's removed that burden from us. And because of that, we can love, we can care for others, we can bear burdens for our brothers and sisters in Christ because our burdens have been bared in Christ, our heaviest burden, the burden of our sin. So if you're here today or watching online and you've not experienced the loving care of Jesus and you've been carrying the soul-crushing burden of your sin, and you're weary, and you're exhausted, maybe like Mr. Frodo. Well, like Sam carried Mr. Frodo the rest of the way up that perilous mountain, Jesus wants to carry you. Jesus took your greatest burden upon himself. He took your sin to the cross and made an end of it by dying in your place as your substitute and he rose again three days later. He did all of this to forgive your sin and to welcome you into his kingdom. You don't have to carry the burden of your sin anymore. Jesus calls to you today He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but come to Jesus 
and receive the forgiveness of your sins and find rest for your souls. In just a minute, we're gonna sing our closing song. I don't usually do this, but this was not the plan. Are we able to sing that song, Come As You Are, as our closure today? Can we do that? Yeah, that, that'd be perfect. And as, as we sing that as our closer, uh, if there's any elders here who want to come and be available to anyone who would like prayer, I'd like to make that available to you today. Uh, maybe you're just sitting under a crushing burden right now. Maybe it's that you're caught in some kind of sin, or maybe it's that there's, there's some hardship going on in your life, and you just want someone to pray with you. Uh, we'll have people up here to pray with you. If you've never experienced the love and care of Jesus in bearing your greatest burden by taking your sin away, nailing it to the cross, then we'd invite you to come. Come to Jesus. Bring your burdens, whatever they may be, and we'd love to pray with you and help you to bear that burden this morning. And so let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you first bore our greatest burden, the burden of our sin. And because that's true, how dare we withhold the responsibility of bearing one another's burdens when they're either caught in sin or whether they're just under some tremendous weight or pressure from some tragedy or hardship in their life. And Father, help us not to be prideful as those who bear burdens, thinking that we're the only ones or that we don't want to bother people with our problems. It's one of the purposes for which you instituted your church, Jesus, so that we can bear one another's burdens, so that we make each other's burdens lighter. And we do this with joy because our greatest burdens have already been lifted. So Father, we pray that you would make us a church that's caring for one another because we've first been cared for in the most ultimate way possible. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.